Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And they returned, verse 3, to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack it. Do not, let, uh, do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Notice how flippant they are. You know, they just had this great victory over Jericho, and it's just like the flesh to have this great victory. And it happens to all of us. That's usually when we are the most in trouble, when we have a great victory of some kind. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, So the men went up and spied out Ai. Welcome to our Bible study for today. The recommendation of the spies to send only two or three thousand men was either a response of faith or self-confidence. In the end, it didn't matter. In their disobedience, they could have sent a hundred thousand troops, and it would have made no difference. Israel's success depended on their obedience to God's word. As we will learn, their disobedience caused their defeat in Ai. How often do we disobey God and are defeated? Let's listen to Pastor Rob with today's lesson. You don't even recognize it, but if you do sin, it it, it behooves us to come and, and confess it like the Bible tells us to, right? To confess our sin, and then he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's important that we do that. Because if we don't, and we haven't repented, what happens is we withhold from God's people the blessing that we should have brought in with us. Does that make sense? Because our heart can be hardened, you may not pray for anyone. Your attitude may be obvious, and you may, you may be kind of standoffish because you're engaged in a sin or because your, your heart is hard. And then you come into the fellowship, and, and when your life should be a blessing and encouraging your brother and sister... Instead, we just kind of clam up. We don't do anything. And then the the Holy Spirit can't work in and through us to minister to one another. See, it's not just about me ministering to you, the Word of God. One thing that's beautiful about the body of Christ is that we can minister to one another. We can listen to each other. We can pray for one another. If you're aware of somebody else's need, you know, you can can begin thinking and praying about that and texting other people and, 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 and helping one another out the way the body should. And when the body doesn't do that, it's because we get sick. And there's something wrong when we no longer take care of each other. And we, just like any other church, we have to always be careful of that. We always have to be thinking along those lines. So when we come in with unconfessed sin and unrepented sin, what we do is we shut that spout out where the blessings come out. Remember I talked about that this last Sunday. We put a tourniquet around the blessing. And we no longer become a blessing. God's love and grace wants to come out upon you that it can run through you to others. But we have a way 
of with unconfessed sin, with bad attitudes because of sin, we come in and, and by our own sin, we cut off that, that life supply. And that's no fault of God's, it's our own. So it's important that we, even before we come into any place where we're together, to say, Lord, make me a blessing tonight. Forgive me for everything I've said, anything I've ever done that has grieved you, Lord. And if you know of something specific, you confess it. But it may be a general prayer. Say, Lord, make me a blessing to your people. And see, that's what happened with Achan. Sin had so gripped him. And and let me suggest to you that his problem of stealing and, and, and lusting for the gold and the garment and the silver was not something that just happened at the spur of the moment. It's been festering in him for a long time. And it just took time until the devil said, now is the time. The opportunity arose and he took it. He went like an ox to the slaughter. He went to it. Verse 1, again, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. The accursed things is a doomed object. It's, it's a dedicated thing that should have been utterly destroyed, something that's um, devoted to destruction. The accursed things, God didn't want them to touch it. Because, again, we looked at uh, Joshua chapter 6. We already read that in verse 18. Remember, God had reminded them, before they went in to take Jericho, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Notice he said, but the silver and the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, they're consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. But the word Achan, how would you like to name your child this? Achan. You know what his name means? Troubler. It's almost like he was fulfilling some kind of prophecy about his own character. Maybe when when he's two years old and he's running around sticking forks into the light sockets, his mother said, boy, you're in a lot of trouble. I'm going to call you Aiken. (laughs) Maybe he was that type of kid. In verse 2 it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon literally means house of vanity. In Ai, the, the term of it means destruction. It's, it's, it means heap of ruins. That's what the name Ai, or Ayath, is actually what it is in the Hebrew. But we call it here in Penfield, we call it Ai. Here in Penfield, we call it Ai. But it means a heap of ruins. And notice, Beth-Avon, the house of vanity. Boy, that sounds like a great neighborhood. So Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now that they've conquered it, they want to continue going west, deeper into central uh, Israel. On the east side of Bethel, and they spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the land. So the men, they went and they spied out Ai. They went and they spied out Ai. And they returned, verse 3, to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack it. Do not, let, uh, do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Notice how flippant they are. You know, they just had this great victory over Jericho, and it's just like the flesh to have this great victory. And it happens to all of us. That's usually when we are the most in trouble, when we have a great victory of some kind. It goes to our head. We get lax. We get lazy. And the next thing you know, we're easily defeated. Our defenses come down. It's when we have a great victory, that's when we need to be especially careful. Because the devil loves to take somebody who's been raised up on a platform, and he loves to take the platform right out from underneath you and have you fall flat on your face. He loves to do it. And God will allow it. 
because our hearts can be filled with pride. And even though they knew God was on their side, there is something of our nature, if we're not careful, that will start to delight in it and say that we had something to do with it. But there wasn't just a few people in Ai. In fact, in Joshua chapter 8, we're not going to get there tonight, but in verse 25 it says that the men, the men and women of Ai were 12,000. So now they're sending up two or 3,000 against a city of 12,000. Wouldn't it have been better for them just to, and God never told them to do this, by the way. So about 3,000 of them went up before the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And see, this was part of the curse that God pronounced them if they disobeyed him. I don't know if you recall when we were going through Deuteronomy, there was a passage in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And let me just read verse 15 and then verse 25 because it's very applicable to what we're looking at right now. Because back then, remember, uh, Moses is telling them before they cross over into the promised land, but he said in verse 15 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, he says, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and they will overtake you. And then in verse 25, One of these things, he has a list of them there, but in verse 25, he gives us one of them that's very applicable, again, to what we're looking at. In verse 25, it says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Isn't that what just happened? They defeat Jericho, they go up to Ai, and we just send a few, you know. Everybody's happy, we're celebrating. Let's just send, you know, half the, you know, just a few. Just go up there and take care of it. You know, we'll still, if you hear a loud noise, it's just us partying down here, having a good time. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and and flee seven ways before them, and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Notice that it wasn't directed by the Lord, them just only sending a small battery of men. It was their opinion. And the Lord, unfortunately, is going to teach them some hard lessons. You know, unfortunately, we aren't aren't always careful, and sometimes we allow pride and self-confidence to get the best of us. Isn't pride an awful thing? It's something that's in each one of us, and sometimes it only takes the right amount of uh, pressure. It may take the right circumstance to bring it out in us, but believe me, if you're alive and breathing, at some point you're going to have to deal with this thing called pride. And it is an ugly thing. We know it says in Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Solomon tells us, Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So pride, again, one of the plagues of men. But notice in verse 5 back in our text tonight, it says, And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men of the Jews. 36. And do you think that was the grace of God? I think it was. You know, they could have all been destroyed. All 3,000 of those men could have been destroyed. But God says, you know what? You've, you guys have sinned. And in my grace, only 36 of you are going to die because of your rebellion. This is hard stuff. But notice how gracious God is. God is full of grace. The Old Testament especially is filled with grace. Many people have this idea that God is just angry and that the God of the Old Testament is very different from the God of the New Testament. No, God never changes. He remains the same. Did he kill David when he deserved when the sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah? He deserved to die, didn't he? The law said that he should die, but God forgave him. And David was broken and contrite before the Lord. And God forgave him. 
So the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and they struck them down to the descent. Before the hearts, or therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. This idea of tearing the clothes and throwing dust on the heads is a very common thing that the Jews would do. It was just a sign, a physical sign of mourning. You and I might just bury our head in a pillow and make it all wet (laughs) with them they'll tear their clothes and they'll throw dust on their heads that was just their way of of doing it and joshua said verse 7 alas lord god why have you brought this people over the jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the amorites to destroy us oh that we had been content and dwelt on the other other side of the jordan notice how quickly joshua gets despondent how, how quickly he gets he loses heart because god told them didn't he He gave them the promise that they were going to dispossess those inhabitants of Canaan. Isn't that what it said when in Genesis chapter 15, God speaking to Abraham, he spoke to him to, and he says, in the fourth generation, the Jews, after they come out of of Egypt, they will return here on this mountain for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. See, God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And so there was a promise that God had given to them. And Joshua knew those promises because God had promised it to Abraham. He promised it to Isaac. He promised it to Jacob. He promised it all the way down the line. And so when they get defeated like this, naturally you're going to be like, what, what happened? <laughs> Did God leave us? Or is he with us still? In verse 8 he says, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it, and they will surround us, and they'll cut off our name from the earth. Then, what will you do for your great name? Notice, they remembered the promise. From the pro- God had promised them victory, but there was sin in the camp. And you know, sin not only affects those associated with it, but it also causes the enemies of God and his word to be emboldened to come after them. When they see a a weakness, a chink in the armor, boy, the enemy is right there to exploit that. And the enemies of God, they've also seen him, the Lord, chastening his own people. Because God wasn't going to chastise one nation because of their sin and then let his people who he has called by his name, is his special treasure. He wasn't going to just let them get off scot-free. No, God was harsh with his own people when they needed it, when they needed to be chastened. But chastening is different. Chastening is all, always with the idea of instructing to, to encourage to do the right thing. A big difference between a father who, says, who you know, sees his son do something wrong and just beats him for it without telling him anything but then the other father who sees his son does something and says, Son, you know we've told you not to go out into the, to ride your big wheel off the end of the uh, driveway here and go out onto the street. We've told you that several times. Now, you know what the consequence of that is, don't you? <gasps> yes, Daddy, I know. Okay, let's go inside. Let's go up to your room. Pick a belt. That's what my mom did. She told me to pick a belt, and I thought I was really wise at six years old. So she had belts. Back in the 70s, they had these really big, thick black belts that women used to wear. And then she had this run really thin one, and I thought, that one's got to hurt less. So I grabbed the thin one. (gasps) Big mistake. Big mistake. There was a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth that day, and it was my own. 
But notice that the men of war, what they should have done, they shouldn't have rested on their lees. They should have taken the whole entire group again. Now that they've conquered Jericho, they should have just overwhelmed this city, this smaller city of only 12,000 people, if they would have all gone up. See, God never told them, just take 3,000. That was man's idea. They should have consulted the Lord, but no, we've got it covered. We got it covered. We did it this time. Ah, smaller city, just send three grand. And the Lord hates pride. He had to teach his people a lesson. He had to teach them to be dependent still, not only on his commandments, but on his ways. But notice Joshua is not just concerned about their own name, but he was also concerned about God's name among the pagan nations. You see, throughout their desert wandering, when they were rebellious and the Lord thought to consume them, they brought up the Lord's reputation, how the nations would say that God was not able to bring them into the land. They were concerned about God's name, certainly. Because the enemies of God are going to say, your God wasn't able to bring you in. How great is your God? Like we sang tonight. How great is your God? Uh, Not very great. That's what they would say. So we're concerned about your name. You remember in Exodus chapter 32, after the golden calf incident, you remember that? Moses is up there for 40 days, 40 nights, getting the tablets of the law. And meanwhile, they're growing impatient down at the bottom of the hill there. So they build a calf. So after this, it says in Exodus 32, notice, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord as God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with, with a mighty hand? And notice in verse 12, Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he reminds the Lord of his promise. But they're concerned about the Lord's name. So verse 10, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? So Israel has sinned, the Lord says, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have taken of the accursed things, those hallowed things, those devoted things, for destruction. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have stolen. Notice, they have stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Notice when God says they have also transgressed my covenant. What does that mean? Well, we know that in Exodus chapter 20, it's recorded for us. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not steal. And what did he do? He stole. He stole from the Lord because those elements, those articles belong to the Lord, to the treasury. So not only did he steal, but in verse 16 of Exodus 20, it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The idea of false witness is lying. You're telling a false, uh, you're, you're slandering. You're, it's, it's a false thing. You are lying. And so Achan not only stole it, but he told lies. Oh, we didn't take it. It wasn't us. In verse 11, Israel has sinned and they've also transgressed my covenant. In verse 12, it says, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed. This word doomed is the exact same thing as accursed things. Now not only is are those articles accursed, but now, notice, they, because they have become doomed. They've become accursed things. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, does it not say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, there is a point which God will expose our sin if we don't deal with it. And he doesn't do it to destroy us, but before we destroy ourselves and our families. And see, Achan could have at any time during this time after they had uh, failed at Ai, he could have come up to Joshua and said, you know what, Joshua? The Lord told us not to take these things. I took it. And you know what? Things might have been different. God may have told Joshua to do the same thing that happened to David. David didn't die either. The Lord might have been lenient. Not allowing for his sin to be shoved under a rug, but he would have to make atonement for his sin, wouldn't he? He would have to offer the sacrifices, a death in place of his own. And God could, under different circumstances, maybe this whole thing would have been completely different. But no, he continued in his sin and continued to hide it, continued to withhold the truth, thus lying. Therefore, verse 12, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turn their backs. And notice at the end of that verse, neither will I be with you anymore, God says, unless you destroy the cursed among you. You see, God is serious. He's serious about sin. Perhaps more serious, I think he is, than we are. Because sometimes we can allow things in our life, we can allow sin in our life, and act like God doesn't see, that he, that he doesn't understand, that somehow you can do something in darkness and not allow God to see, well, the light and the dark are the same with him. He can see through the dark. And the scary thing is, is he knows your heart. He knows our hearts. And isn't it wonderful to know that he loves us so much? That even right now, as a believer, he loves you, and yet he knows what you're going to do tomorrow that may displease him. See, if I were God, I would say, you know what? In my perfect knowledge, I know you're going to mess up tomorrow. And by the way, three days from then, you're going to say a really nasty thing under your breath about a co-worker. I know about that too. So you know what? I'm just going to smoke you right now. If I were God, I might be tempted to do that. But see, he's not like any other God. God is not this vengeful, hateful being in the sky that just waits to crush people. No, that's the way that some people believe that God is. But God is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He so wants to forgive. When we sin, He so wants to forgive. He, he's done everything for us. Do you understand? He's given us every opportunity. He's not only told us to confess the sin, but He's also given us a means to be right with Him by the blood of Christ on the cross. What greater gift is there than that? Is there any other gift that's greater than that? I mean, how great can that be? But God is serious about sin. In Leviticus chapter 11, He says, for I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, you shall be separate, you shall be consecrated. Why? For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And here in the context, he's speaking about dietary laws, but he goes on in in chapter 11, verse 45, and he says, for I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, and you shall therefore be holy, for I am am holy. Wow, what a tall order. And see, in our flesh, we can't do it. That's why Jesus Christ, that's why we must be born again. Jesus fulfilled all of those things in our place for us. And when we receive Christ, we are in him. And therefore, 
God doesn't look upon us in our flesh. He sees the blood of his son covering us. And boy, that changes everything. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.